This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 38. This is Writing Excuses, how to find and use alpha readers. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Valin. I'm Dan. I'm... Um, I, I haven't actually finished today's chapter yet. Uh, Lynn, you are going to define for us alpha, beta readers, that sort of thing. I think sometimes people call up, you know, use that, use alpha, beta interchangeably. To me, an alpha reader is generally maybe one person whom you trust uh, to read what you're writing. It's not polished. It's just uh, rough rough draft, you throw it at them, they tell you what they like, you trust them to be honest and trust that they will give you uh, feedback that is helpful. Uh, Beta readers, I would say I like, I consider a beta reader someone, uh, it's at the, your manuscript is at the stage where you've gone through, you've done some edits, you've polished it a little bit more and then you're sending it to beta readers to to get their feedback. These people can be uh, uh, other writers in a critique group. It can be family members. It can be friends. I think it's good to have someone who is going to give you honest feedback um, and good feedback, such as other writers in and, a critique group. Yep, we'll talk about how to get that out of them. And <laughs> then also have... A cheerleader, someone who just loves everything you write. I think writing can be hard. And so it's nice just to have someone who tells you what things they absolutely right. love about your writing. So today we'll talk about kind of alpha and beta readers because you'll have your own definitions, um, uh, listeners. I have a starker line between them um, than Valin. Alpha readers are industry professionals. Beta readers are test audience. Yeah. Uh, for me. And so for me, if you are my agent, you're an alpha reader. If you're my writing group, you're an alpha reader. You are reading a book before it's done to give me feedback. And a beta reader is you probably aren't an industry professional. You're a fan. You read the book to just give a, f- a reader response um, when it's in a close to finished form. Yeah, it's kind of how I split them up as well. Um, because the two groups give very different kinds of feedback. And there are people that I use as beta readers that I know if I send them my first draft, all the advice and all the feedback they give me is going to be weird and often going to be wrong because they don't know how to read a first draft. They will identify big problems that I know are big problems, and they will start suggesting solutions, and that's not what I want. Instead, I send it to my writing group and to my agent. So let me ask you guys this. Where do you get your alpha and beta readers? I think that one of the best places to find critique groups, for example, is to go to writing conferences. Uh, any, you're already among people who write, and a lot of times there are people looking for critique groups. You can do critique groups online. You don't necessarily have to live close to each other. So I think that's one of the one of the nice places to find someone to. So let me ask you this. Do you, do you usually use, do you do in-face critiques and internet critiques, or do you do only internet critiques? How's, how's it for you? 
When I first started writing, I used to do a critique group once a month. We would bring pages. We would sit. Everyone would come to the critique group with those pages read. And we would talk about, you know, give, go person by person and give the feedback. These days, it's really hard to find the time to do those kinds of critiques. And so we are still critiquing each other's work, but sometimes it's more a full draft of something that's about to go to print or something like that. And so a lot of it is more online now. Dan, where do you find them? And is it in person online for you? Um, My group right now is uh, my alpha readers are my agent, who I found by querying an agent. Uh, and then two other authors um, that I have just met at writing conventions over the years, uh, Wendy Tolliver and Matt Kirby, who are both fantastic YA authors. And we got together and, and formed a writing group. And so that was just kind of networking interactions at conventions, a lot of like what Valin's talking about. That's all in-person stuff. Um, my beta readers, I've got a group of about six to eight people that I will send every draft to once I think it's ready for public consumption. Uh, that's all online, and they will give me feedback online. I will also, for every book, have a group of kind of targeted experts that I feel like I need specific advice from, and that changes book to book, but I think we're going to talk about that Yeah, later. we'll talk about that after the, the break. Uh, for me, um, alpha is in-person and beta can be in person, but is, you know, f- functions fine, you know, online, asynchronously. Um, alpha, and that, for me, that's the distinction. It's got to be, it's got to be completely synchronous communication with alpha um, because, uh, because there's so much, so much back and forth. When I'm, uh, when I'm critiquing uh, Bob Defendi's work, uh, often what I am telling him is, um, I think this is what you are trying to accomplish with this chapter. Uh, you know, I get the sense that that is what this chapter is for. I feel like it didn't do that job because of this section right here, which kind of confused me. And Bob can then respond and say, oh, well, wow, it's really weird that you got that idea. Um, and and <laughs> off he goes. But that kind of feedback we we have to go back and forth because mm-hmm. when Bob brings it, he knows there are things in here that are broken and I need my alpha readers to identify them. And the alpha reader, Brandon, as you said, industry professional, alpha reader needs to be somebody who understands the form well enough to be able to say, I know what this chapter should be trying to do because of the form that I know that we're working within. Now, this, I think, is dangerous All of us use industry professionals for alpha reading because we are industry professionals at this point, um, and it is invaluable. And over the years, I have come to appreciate how important it is to have that back-and-forth conversation when I can say, okay, this character doesn't work at all, and I think it's for these reasons. What do you think? And then the person, the, the author, will say, well, actually, this is what I intended. Those are very important. But I remember when we, Brandon and I, had our writing group in college we were trying to do that, and we didn't know what we were talking about, and we ended up ruining some books. Yes. Which I think is maybe just inevitable and part of the learning process, but it is it's something to watch out for. It's way more dangerous for discovery writers, I found, than for outliners. My books didn't get ruined, but I ruined books um, because I said, try this, and then they did, and it was the wrong thing entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, let me say where I've got mine, and then I want to dig into this question. Okay. My alpha readers are still my writing group. 
Uh, the same group I started with Dan in college, but then he moved away. Um, <laughs> we replaced I became him with, too big for you. Yeah, Eric James Stone. <laughs> um, and uh, they still meet in my house every week in person. In person is really important for me. Uh, I have about 70 beta readers. Um, we'll use a group of between 20 and 50 for each book, and we do an online Google spreadsheet that, go, that is chapter by chapter with questions for them to fill in. Um, the beta read for Oathbringer um, ended up being 600,000 words of comments. Um, words comments. comments. Ah, yes. um, yep. Fortunately, <laughs> I didn't have to sort through that. I have people that yeah. sorted through and pulled out the important Yeah, I don't have me. people, so um, my process is a lot simpler. <laughs> let me ask, though, this one's really important. That gets us into, and you were guys going to approach this, how do you get the right feedback from an um, a critique group or from alpha beta readers? How do you get them to give you what you need and not ruin your book? One of the things that I've learned uh, through experience just in talking with people is that I can tell if somebody's going to be a worthwhile critique if that person and I can argue about a book that we have both read and articulate different opinions on the book and understand where each other is coming from, even though we had different responses to it. And it's one thing that, oh yeah, I loved this book. And then it's just how much we love this book. But if we are each picking at a different aspect of the book, uh, you know, if you sit down with your friends and, you know, have a book club with them where you are reading books together and allowing yourselves to critique the books, you will find alpha and beta readers in that crowd, I think, pretty quickly. Um, when I, one of the things that I try to do is make sure that I'm sending it to the right people. Um, so for example, when I write a horror novel, I will make sure one of my beta readers is Steve Diamond because he knows that genre inside and out. And so I know that the comments that I'm getting from him are going to be the kind of comments that I'm looking for. Uh, whereas when I write, you know, like my cyberpunk stuff, I don't usually send it to him. I'll send it to somebody else. And so that's kind of a, an early level, just filtering system beyond that. I always tell my beta readers, not my alpha readers, just to give me their reaction. Don't try to fix this problem. Just point it out to me. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like, and why. And then let me, you know, you you tell me the symptoms and I will diagnose. The other thing that I like to do is that I am very aware of my weaknesses as a writer. And so I like to give it to people whose strengths are opposite of what my mine are. I, I, mm-hmm. I think that is really helpful for me because I know there are things I just miss. If it were up to me, I would write a book that was straight dialogue all the way through. I love writing dialogue. And half the time my editor is saying, where are these people standing? What are they doing? <laughs> what are they wearing? And I'm just not good with details like that. So I think it's it's good to, you know, people, other people have other strengths. And ultimately, we want to be strong in all the areas, but mm-hmm. we still have our own strengths. And so I have someone who is really good at pacing. I have someone who is really good with character development. And that's, if I'm struggling with a particular thing in a book, that's how I yeah. send it out to a beta reader. Now, with... um 
very quickly, when, when we have those face-to-face conversations with alpha readers, I, I use Wendy and Matt, and I will sit down and I will ask them tiered questions. I'm not very happy with this scene. Do you like it? And I won't tell them why I'm not happy. Get their reaction first. And then they'll say, oh, yeah, there's something wrong with that. And I'll say, well, I think it's this. What do you think? And they just kind of get deeper with every question so that I'm not leading them on, but I can drill in specifically. We found it's very useful to get general reactions from a group and then ask specific questions. Mm -hmm. That's a big difference between alpha and beta readers to me is alpha readers, I can go and say, all right, this is obviously broken. Uh, why do you think it's broken? With beta readers, I would never do that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, we have to stop for a book of the re- week. Howard, you're going to tell us about Death by Cliché. Yes, um, actually, Death by Cliché 2, uh, Wrath of Khan, that's spelled C-O-N. Um, uh, our hero uh, is trapped in a role-playing game, like in the game universe, not you know stuck at the table on Thanksgiving. Um Uh, trapped in the game universe, and the players, uh, he discovers, are at a convention. Um, And, uh, but that's, what convention they're at is actually irrelevant. What's relevant is uh, the adventure that's happening in the story and the the horrors of what happens when someone has an artifact that lets them Mm -hmm. control the weather. Um, Can you pick up book two and read it? Yeah, you can pick up up book two and read it now. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I'm, Currently, uh, Alpha reading, I think, book five uh, for Bob. Do you Bob. need to have read book one? You don't need... Oh, sorry. That's the question. You don't need to read book one. You don't need to read book one. It reads very nicely as a comedic <laughs> fantasy novel. Um, Somewhere Bob is shouting, yes, you have to read book one. But you should buy book one because, <laughs> you know, supporting living authors. One of the things that I wanted to bring up about that uh, about that whole series from Bob is that our writing group has changed uh, over time as he's written these. And what we found is that Sandra is the one he's going to for character motivation and, and often, you know, sensitivity reader issues. And I'm the one he's going to for uh, wordsmithing, joke smithing, the setups of the funny bits um, and the most critical piece that we've discovered as we've critiqued is that when there are things that we love, we put smiley faces in the manuscript because, not just because, you know, Bob needs to be told, yay, you're a good writer, see, this part didn't suck, um, <laughs> but uh, because when you are editing, it is easy to lose track of the things that made a chapter wonderful and so we, we want to put pins in those so that they don't get broken during the edit process. That was long, sorry. That's all right. Uh, Bob's a good friend of a lot of us here, and we, uh, we like him. He's funny, and his books are funny, so you should all go read them. Uh, you mentioned the term sensitivity reader, which Dan mentioned to me has been kind of, sh- people have been shifting away from that. Yeah, so sensitivity reader is... is- a, a phrase that became popular because uh, as, as we started focusing more and more on diversity, um, and I know that Valin has wants to talk about this, so just let me say very quickly, um, we started, the, the, the idea is if you're going to write about, say, a black person and you are not black, you are going to want to have someone who is read it so they can make sure that you are presenting their culture and their background correctly. Um, however, we're not 
kind of the nomenclature is moving away from sensitivity to targeted beta reader because really it's just the same thing as I suck at writing cops. So whenever I write about police, I have two friends who are police officers or family of police officers that I give it to them and say, make sure that I got this right. And it's the same thing if you're dealing with another culture or another ethnicity or another religion or whatever. So just using one blanket term for all of them is is a little more common now. And I think that the word targeted is very important because I think, especially when we're talking about writing diverse characters, we often tend to approach it like it's a paint by numbers, which it's not. It's not, I know a Japanese person, I'm writing a Japanese character, so this Japanese person I know can represent the entire Japanese culture and everyone in it. Uh, for example, um, I was talking to Brandon's sister-in-law this this morning and explaining that I am fourth generation Japanese. And what that means is that I do not speak Japanese. I am pure Japanese, but I do not speak Japanese. And my experience is vastly different than someone who is first generation Japanese, whose second language is English. Uh, So targeted means that when you're writing a character, try to find beta readers that are as close to that character's experience as you can get. Because you need to understand like the generation of the character, the geographical location of the character, and how that affects the character. There's so many things that um, make a huge difference. So so the more accurately you can target that to beta readers, the better chance you have of not offending anyone and just presenting it accurately and with respect. At this point, uh, uh, fair listener, um, you probably recall several episodes we've done this year uh, under the the general heading of what, what writers get wrong about um, with that whole idea that uh, as a writer, unless you have a subject matter expert, whether that's an astronaut or a police officer or a third, you know, third generation Taiwanese person, uh, you you are likely to get things wrong unless you have alpha readers in that demographic who can help you get things right. Now, I want I, what Valin said about being very specific is very important. And I recently had a really interesting experience. I went down to Guadalajara uh, for the book fair there because I've got, among other things, one of my series is about a uh, Mexican-American hacker, the Blue Screen series. And I used to live in Mexico. I have a lot of friends in Mexico. And importantly to this story, I used my Mexican friends as my targeted beta readers. They are not Mexican-American. They are Mexican. And so the character ended up feeling very authentically Mexican, and the books have been huge in Mexico. The Mexican-American, like the Latino population here in the U.S., hasn't really picked them up because it doesn't ring true to them. It rings true to Mexico because that's who I used to make sure I got it right. So specificity is important. All right, let's go ahead and um, do our homework which Valen is going to give us. You wanted us wanted someone to do this, right? Um, Homework is to take something that you have already written, identify something within your manuscript that you can send to a 
targeted beta reader for. And then do it. Yeah. yeah and then send it to them. <laughs> All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 